other side of midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. Whenever there's a migrant discussion, one of the things I frequently hear, and I think they're right, from people that don't want to give the migrants anything is, well, why don't we take care of our veterans first? I hope this is a recognition of the fact that we need to be doing more to take care of our veterans. And that is especially true in the state of New Jersey. The Justice Department says New Jersey violated the Constitution by failing veterans in state-run homes. The state of New Jersey underreported the number of deaths from COVID-19 at two of New Jersey's state-run veterans' homes during the first five months of the pandemic. That's according to last week's damning report by federal officials. Why are they still underreporting those deaths? The number of COVID deaths listed in the DMA VA's website through last Tuesday was 174. But the Justice Department's report put the number of COVID-19 related deaths at 190 combined in just the first five months of the pandemic in 2020. That's 26 more deaths through July of 2020 than were being reported by the state up to September 5th of this year. It's unlikely the actual number of deaths will ever be known due to what the report called limited testing and a failure to systematically track probable COVID deaths. The report called the number extraordinarily high. In the record, Charles Style has a terrific column, headline, New Jersey lawmakers investigated Bridgegate. Why can't they investigate COVID at veteran homes? For whatever you think about Governor Murphy, whether you love him or hate him, Governor Murphy has an enormous blot on his resume over this ongoing crisis at New Jersey veterans' homes. The most vulnerable remain that way. So where is the Bridgegate-level legislative outcry? Where are the oversight hearings? Where are the demands for a route-to-branch reform with the cudgel of a subpoena and the help of a hired gun attorney? We've heard nothing so far from the Democrats who maintain majority rule in both houses of the legislature. Instead, all we've gotten is outrage without a commitment to do anything. Democrats in the legislature have offered only vague assurances to do something, at least until the issue fades from the headlines again. I hope whoever's running for governor in two years will make this a top priority and actually do something about it. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Mayor Eric Adams has been very vocal about the migrant issue of late. He said pretty much three things. One, he said the federal government should do more to help. Two, he said other parts of the state should be doing their fair share to house the migrants. And of late, he has been saying there should be something done to get them work permits so that they can work in this city legally rather than just continue to be a drain on state and city resources. And yesterday, Governor Kathy Hochul pretty much had the same message. We are leaving no stone unturned to find some way to get these people out of the shelters, into legal jobs, and get them part of our economy. 
it's now being seriously suggested that we issue our own state or city work permits, no matter what the federal government does or fails to do. And I recognize the appeal of this. I recognize that, hey, here's an opportunity to create taxpaying citizens that would contribute to society and be able to pay their bills instead of robbing someone or just living off the taxpayer. I absolutely see the appeal. But the first thing I'll point out is a report showed that the overwhelming majority of these asylum seekers, when it finally came time for them to get their asylum hearing, most of them were denied asylum, which leads me to think what I've been saying pretty much the whole time that these people aren't coming here because they're seeking asylum because they're in danger of losing their lives or being persecuted somehow. For the most part, these people are coming here because they want a better opportunity, like my grandparents did, and I'm sure a lot of your grandparents did. But as of a month ago, the rejection rate for asylum was 96% on those coming from Mexico, 97% on those coming from Haiti, 80% on those coming from Colombia, 67% on those coming from Venezuela, and 47% from those coming from Ukraine. Why is this relevant? Because if the people in other parts of the world know that all you have to do is get here by hook or by crook and you will eventually be given a permit to work legally, New York City will become even more of a magnet for illegal aliens than it already is. So I know Governor Hochul's idea sounds great. It's not great. And it would make this problem dramatically worse. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Last week, New York City school children were back in school and it was still very hot. And unfortunately, broken air conditioners left many classrooms sweltering on students' first day back at New York City public schools. Gothamist.com, a great newspaper that covers local issues, they did a series of interviews and they discovered that even as the temperature outside hovered around 90, 90 degrees, sometimes more, the education department does not even have a list of classrooms with broken air conditioners, but complaints were surfacing all around the city in all five boroughs. A lot of classrooms don't even have air conditioning. Let me tell you something. There is no way children can be expected to learn in 95-degree brutalizing heat. So if you're going to make kids go back to school when it's this hot, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask that there be working air conditioners in these school buildings. want to remind you, if you haven't already, please make a contribution to my efforts to raise money for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, trying to raise some money to help the families of fallen servicemen and veterans. And uh, I want to thank everybody that's jo- donated so far. Janae Natali, Jackson and Peyton Rosado, our friend Neil from Staten Island, and uh, Mary Coffey, Marianne Boudin, Dan O'Brien, my brother-in-law, Rocco Rosado, who's Rocco from Saratoga, Donna Jahir, who I believe is the lovely, quite lovely, I might add, Donna from Huntington. So thank you to everybody, and for anyone else that gives a donation of any amount, I will be happy to mention your name on the air. Just go to wabcradio.com slash frankwalk right now. That's wabcradio.com slash frankwalk, and make a contribution of whatever you can afford to do. Beam me up! To be. 
continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Thank God for the newspaper, The City. This is a nonprofit publication, but they're doing the job that the mainstream press in this city used to do and serving as a real watchdog on what's going on in this city. And as far as I'm concerned, every day they prove their worth and show exactly why local journalism is so important. Because if they weren't covering these stories, nobody would. And they had a great story about half of the community boards in the Bronx are in violation of a state law requiring them to document their meetings and make those records publicly available. So some Bronx residents are being kept in the dark on what happened at recent meetings of their local community boards. Six of the borough's 12 boards regularly break a New York state law that requires public bodies to record and provide accessible minutes of their meetings. I am a former community board member myself. I think I'm going to be going back on the community board in about two weeks. The community board members are volunteers. They're aided by a paid district manager. And while they have no formal power, their recommendations often determine land use decisions, liquor license approvals. And although some boards in the Bronx documented most meetings, others haven't published minutes in more than a year, essentially locking out community members from seeing what's being done. Several boards began uploading video recordings of their meetings to YouTube channels after public bodies switched to virtual and hybrid meetings during the pandemic. But community boards 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 12 in the Boogie Down Bronx have been the most egregious offenders. I'd like to know what's going to be done about this. If they're going to be any consequences? Is this going to change? Is anybody going to be held accountable for this? If not, what's the point of even having a state law? And I wonder how many other similar entities around the rest of the city and the state are similarly violating this provision. Beam me up! To be continued.